What's up, guys? It's Ace Coleman here with the Champion Blueprint Podcast, and today I have Darren Christian Berry on. Darren, how are you doing? So far, so good. It's been a busy week, and uh, but everything's going really good right now. For sure. So the reason I brought you on the podcast, I really wanted to talk about Ultra, uh, the mm-hmm. new arrow company. I've seen several shooters shooting these new arrows. And just tell me a little bit about the company. Yeah, it's a brand new company. Obviously, I work for the Outdoor Group, and that's the parent company of Elite Archery, Scott Archery, Custom Bow Equipment, Winner's Choice, you know, Slick Trick, Broadheads, Clutch. I mean, several companies underneath that umbrella. And it just made sense since we've got bows, sights, releases, excuse me, strings and cables, everything else. It just made sense to have arrows. And I don't know what their whole thought process was, but I don't believe doing an acquisition of an existing arrow company made sense financially, but creating their own and building it from the ground up was the most enticing uh, option for them so we could actually grow the brand. I mean, obviously the outdoor group elite, everything is a business and we want to do well. We want to flourish. We want it to grow. And they thought, you know, starting a new company from the ground up would be the best way to attack it. And now we have ultra arrows. Wow. So were you involved in the creation of the company? Actually, no. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird because I've had a my whole career, I've shot Easton arrows, and I don't think it's any secret to people that I was an Easton guy. And about a year ago, my boss at the time said, you're going to shoot these arrows. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I was like, I'm under contract with Easton. I don't have, I don't want to switch arrow brands. And uh, so I kind of put it off for a little bit. Well, then I wasn't in on any of the meetings. I wasn't in on any the discussions on sizes and spines. Of course, I'm interested in the background going, I wonder what they're doing. And then the CEO says, hey, we want to figure out what it's going to take to get you to shoot these arrows. And I mean, this is probably February last year. And I was like, man, I just don't know if that's what I want to do. Well, then March comes and I get on the podium at the ASA. Cody from Lancaster, the new pro staff coordinator, calls me. Hey, man, congratulations. Just want to touch base. I'm Cody. You know, look forward to working with you, blah, blah, blah. We have this great conversation. I said, hey, by the way, I might as well be transparent. I said, the company that I work for, the company that pays my salary is coming out with an arrow brand. And I said, they're wanting me to be a part of that. And I said, right now, I'm in a weird spot. I said, I don't have any intention of leaving Easton, but also the people that pay my salary want me to shoot this new arrow. So I said, we may come to a point in time in the near future where I have to make a decision. So we kind of let it ride for a little bit. Another shoot off, couple shoot offs, couple podiums, had to call about contingency and things. And then finally about, I would say probably June, I told the guys at TOG, I said, before we have another conversation, I need some arrows to at least build, to test, to look at, to feel, to see how my bows like them, to test my speeds. So there's no sense in us even having another conversation until I get my hands on this product. So I actually built a few, shot some in my spare time. Uh, August comes and they're like, okay, let's get this done. So I have to call East and say, look, you know, thank you for the support. I love everything about you guys and everything you've done, but this makes sense. You know, the company that I work for building arrows, they want me to support it. They want me to shoot it. Um, I'm going to give it a whirl. So that's how I became part of ultra and now i'm in the conversations i get to see uh, what the plans are you know how they got to where they're 
we're at right now, uh, what the future plans are, the different components, shafts, sizes, things that we're going to introduce in the near future. So they're mashing the gas. They intend full intentions on growing this brand and being a contender in the arrow market. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what happens in the near future. For sure. Man, it's it's crazy knowing that there is another bow company and arrow company like partnership in the industry. And uh, is there anything about Ultra that really stands out about the product and like what they're looking to do? Yeah, it uh I mean the the tagline for Ultra is the pinnacle of precision. You know, and and as I started to sit in on these meetings, I was hearing some of this verbiage and some of this banter back and forth with the 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 brand manager or the the product manager and our engineers and our CEO, COO, and everybody talking, and they're talking like our arrows are spineless. And I was like, that that happened on the very first call I was on, and I'm sitting there thinking, spineless. How how can we say that? You know, and so. I- <laughs> I was like, can we say that? He's like, you're darn right we can say that. He said, with the way our arrows are constructed, I mean, they worked with multiple vendors. There's only, you know, four or five vendors that can produce carbon like we're using. So they worked with different vendors to get this blend that they wanted. And I still don't like the word spineless, even though it's in our marketing, but it's a proprietary blend of this high modulus carbon the way it's developed and put together, it's harder to detect the high side of the spine. It's harder to detect the stiff side, the stiff axis of the arrow. And I said, I'll be able to prove that right away. So I went straight mm. out to my room and I took a bear shaft that I've been testing, marked it at like 12 o'clock and I shot it. And then I rotate the knock to like one o'clock and shot it, rotate the knock to two o'clock and shot it all the way around the clock. And I shot this bear shaft. And as long as I did my part, that shaft would not leave the Vegas 10 ring at 20 yards. And I'm like, well, I'll be darned, you know? So that was something that really intrigued me. You know, maybe there is something to this spineless technology or, which, you know, you don't have to knock tune. It makes building and and tuning these arrows. And I think the whole point of it, they kind of benchmarked the competitors. They checked what our competition was doing. And for me, I number all my arrows. When I reached back in my quiver, I've always had a number one arrow. If I got a one arrow closest to center shoot off, I'm going to pull number seven. Maybe that's my number one arrow. Maybe that's the best one. What they're trying to do is give you a full dozen of number one arrows. They've got a whole room at the factory where they're doing some really cool laser testing on straightness. We know we have the Centrum Premier. We have the Centrum Limited. Premier is a 1,000 straightness. Limited are a 3,000 straightness. And every arrow within the dozen you purchase is within one grain. So I was like, okay, that's really cool. I like that. We want to give you 12 number one arrows. They're weight matched. They're going to build up nice. Knock tuning's not as crucial, even though I still check everything. I want to, not skeptical, I I want to prove it. I want to prove to myself, you know, what they're saying. And so far, knock on wood, everything's been awesome. And uh, so I wanted to wait a little bit. Okay, I ordered a couple dozen. I knew we brought in a new purchase order of shafts and components. I was like, okay, I want to get another dozen or two and build them, you know, because carbon is, you know, it's it's not as easy to build as like aluminum. When they extrude aluminum, it didn't matter what day, what week, what month aluminum arrows were built on. They all shot the same for me. They really did. It didn't matter. And I thought carbon could be different. So I ordered new arrows from a new batch, built them up, took the points out of my existing, cleaned the shaft, set my saw. I mean, I, I really took my time in making sure this mm. new dust 
was as close to my original dozen as I could get them. And I weighed them all out. They were like, between dozens, they were 1.3 grains difference. And I'm like, that's pretty good. I can't see 1.3 grains when I shoot. Um, that's I went out awesome. And them. Yeah, went out and shot them hole for hole with my other stuff. So again, is that the way it's going to be with every single shaft and every single dozen we produce? I hope. But I was trying to like, you know, I wanted to I wanted to prove all these theories right or wrong. You know, can can what we say, can I stand by that? And so far, I've had really good results with the arrows. I'm shooting some consistent rounds. My practice is as good as it's been in quite a long time. Now, is that the arrows? Is it the reps? Is it what I I don't know, but I can't find a single reason not to shoot these ultra arrows right now. Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of unheard of. I've kind of done the same thing before with other dozens of arrows and like some companies will actually, you know, have the weight, the average weight written on a label or something like that. And the variance will be like 10 grains Yeah. Per, from two shafts that look exactly the same. So for you to have a whole dozen and they're only like less than two grains different. I mean, it's hard to even perceive a grain, you know? Yeah. So that's it awesome. really is. And I would use, and, and I still do, you know, I, I try to, you know, if I had a wrap, I use the same wrap. If I have fletching, I use the same color fletching. I may put in a different colored knock so I could differentiate. Okay. That's dozen number one. That's dozen number two. I've done that for years. Anytime I've built carbon arrows, you know, doesn't matter what carbon it is, even carbon aluminum, ACEs, ACCs, for whatever I was using, if they were different dozens, you know, they could even be the same weight code, but if they were different dozens, I wanted to, I wanted to have a visual indicator of where that arrow came from. I've changed the colors in these knocks now. I've got these arrows mixed, so they were so close and so good. I mean, that's my best testimonial so far is what we say we're producing is spot on. And I'm not a shooting machine. I don't have a shooting machine. I can't prove that they're arrow hole for arrow hole, but they're good enough for the way I aim a bow and I can shoot them really good. So I'm, I'm ecstatic with it so far. For sure. So I want to get into your like start in archery and like your archery career. So when did you first get into archery? I shot a bow when I I was a kid, no more than to draw the bow back and shoot an arrow and watch it fly as far as it would fly. That's all I knew. As I got older, I'm going to say 15 years old, I was doing paper routes, mowing yards, doing whatever I could do for my own money. And I wanted to buy a real bow because I thought I want to deer hunt. I want to be a bow hunter. I don't know why. I just wanted to do it. And uh, my cousin had his driver's license at the time. And Macmillan Sporting Goods was in Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah, you know, this was 1985. So this has been a day or two ago. We yeah. drove to McMillan Sporting Goods and bought Martin Tigers, which they were a Martin dealer. We both bought matching Martin Tigers, went to our local bait shop, bought arrows and came home and was shooting at paper plates and cardboard boxes in the backyard. And, and that's really how I got started. But 16 years old, 17, 18, my interest changed. Cars, girls, you know, working again full time. Archery kind of took a back seat. Well, then my wife-to-be in 1991, her brother was shooting at our local archery shop, Parker's Archery Indoor Range. And I had driven by this. It's in my hometown. I'd driven by it a million times. And I'm like, indoor range? Who in the world would shoot a bow indoors and why? So <laughs> we're, going, we're going out to Valentine's Day dinner. I believe it was February of 91. And uh, her parents were like, let's see if Deuce was her little brother, Roger, Roger Wayne II. 
let's see if he wants to go to dinner with us. I said, this is great because I've driven by this place a million times. I want to see what this is like. And it was a league night, obviously. I walk in there, and there's guys shooting purple Pearsons and these fancy bows and these cool arrows. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What is this, you know? And since that day, my whole world has been consumed with archery. That's how I got started. I stepped foot in the local pro shop and realized that there was a whole world out there besides shooting my Martin Tiger at paper plates and cardboard boxes in the backyard. And, I mean, this was pre-internet. when I, If I wanted to learn where I could shoot, I had to get printed schedules that were laying on the counter or I had magazine subscription. 3D Times had a had a whole listing of tournaments, regional tournaments that you could shoot. You really had to do some research to find archery events to compete in. Well, then I was exposed to Randy Ulmer, Jeff Hopkins, Jack Wallace, the Chapel Boys, you know, watching all these guys, what they're doing. I'm like, man, I'd love to do what they do. And that was that was my vision. That was my goal. I want to do what they do. I want to see my name in lights and Lo and behold, here we are, however many years later, I'm working in the industry. I get to travel the country and shoot my bow, and I truly, truly love the game of archery. Building arrows, testing bows. I mean, I went from right-handed to left-handed. That's how much I love this crap. So it's uh, That takes takes commitment. I'm going to tell you, if I tried to shoot a bow left-handed today, it would not be pretty. It's not. I've just about shot my neighbor's house. I've just about punched my (laughs) nose. But it's it's I've done it enough now. I'm getting really comfortable with it, and uh, archery consumed my life. I just I love it. I love being a part of it, and uh, it's I don't know what I'd be doing if I didn't have archery in my life. I really don't. Exactly. It's just like it's probably saved me. You know, I don't know what I would have been doing to get in trouble, but this has just kept me focused on the end goal of I want to shoot i want to compete i want to stand on the podium or podium i want to cash bonus checks i want to i want to be somebody else's idol but be accessible when i saw randy ulmer and these guys shoot i was in the background going man i'd like to know what they know i'd like to pick their brains and i always said if ever got in that position where somebody wanted to know what darren thinks I would be accessible. And I feel like, I feel like I am. I feel like I have an open relationship with about anybody out there. I have no secrets. I I really don't. And it's just because I love this game. I'm passionate about it. And if there's one tidbit of information I could give to somebody to help them along the way to achieve their goals or dreams in the sport, I feel like I owe it to them. hundred percent. I, I would a hundred percent agree with you that you are that person. If anyone has a question, you're like, like if, if like a kid or like some like youth, was like, you know, wanting to talk to a pro, you'd probably be like the first pro that I would say, hey, this guy will talk to you. He'll talk your ear off probably if you go start a conversation with him. So Yeah, I'm long-winded yeah. archery. I mean, I've done several podcasts and next thing you know, it's like, man, we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. I'm like, I still got two hours worth of stuff to talk about, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of- when you're passionate about something, it's easy to talk about. And as long as I've been doing this and as in-depth and as much time as I've committed to it, uh, I've fallen short of some of the goals that I've wanted to do over the years, but I've got new life again and I have a new checklist that I'm working on right now. You know, sure. I, I see I see what Mike Slosser does. I see what Braden Ginn has done. I see, you know, how many 900s chance has shot in Vegas. I mean, just the list of accomplishments that archers do every single year. It's astonishing to me. It just, it blows my mind because like you said, I know what kind of commitment it takes, but to be able to perform 
in the environments that some of these archers, men and women combined do, I'm super impressed and just a fan of good archery. I love good archery. For sure. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, Mikey shooting 120 X's not too long ago. Like that's just, that's so dumb. I mean, I've shot some third DX rounds in practice, you know, back right hand. I haven't done it left-handed yet. I hope to, but I think 28X is the best I ever shot in a tournament. I did it in Nimes a couple of times, did it in Vegas. Uh, but to shoot 30 more than once or back to back at a tournament, I, I don't need that. I can't even comprehend that. Just got to have 30 ounces on your front bar, I guess. And a 28 kicked way out in the back. I, I tried that actually last week. I shot that 690. I saw you at the Hoosier 690. And I was thinking, you know, my practice setup was pretty good. I'm at home in my environment and, you know, everything works. And I got to thinking about, okay, different pressures, different tensions. What if I mm. move this? So I started moving stuff around and I was looking at pictures of Mike's setup. He's got his offset bracket on the front of his bar, of his bow, which, you know, changes that leverage on where that grip is in your hand and i was like well i don't shoot a ton of weight but i'll just i did that to my and it felt like absolute crap to me you know and then to see the amount of weight he's got on that i suppose it's something you get used to but I, that's what i like about the game it's so individual and what works for one person definitely may not work for the next i'm willing to try whatever i experimented sure. with this week not for me you know so if it if it takes that to shoot 120 x's in a row i'm probably not going to get there yeah, I I personally I've tried that in the past with like with like a 15 inch bar mounted on the front and like right now I I took a 27 inch bar I took the end caps off I cut it down to 20 inches and oh. that's mounted on the front so basically my weights with like a 12 inch bar mounted on the bottom my weights are pretty much in the same spot but mounted on the front it seems to hold pretty well it's it's different. I, I think it's pretty forgiving. You, you've seen guys like, you know, Kyle Douglas, he runs up front too. But for me, with the 15-inch bar, I personally find there's just not enough leverage. I really like the way having, you know, a 12-inch back bar on the bottom, on the back of the yep. bow feels, you know. So, yep. but yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to get something custom made. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I was, I was shocked at how much different it made my bow feel. And, I, and I'm like the with the technology that manufacturers are putting into the bows now with the accessories that you have access to the, um, the bars, the weights, the angles, the brackets, the, my gosh, I mean, there's so many options. I, it would take a month of Sundays just to test it, to find out what works and then take the time to run that equipment, to collect enough data to say, okay, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. I knew mine wasn't going to make sense because I was so uncomfortable with what the changes were that I made. I was like, mm, that's the wrong direction for me. Now, if I had more time and, you know, we weren't five, six weeks away from Vegas, Lancaster and all that stuff, I might want to play some more. But I knew right then that probably wasn't the direction for me. So if these people get in a rut and think I've tried everything, I don't know how that's possible. There's so many mm -hmm. options just like moving front to back 12 inch 15 inch different angles the the sky's the limit when it comes to customizing and finding a feel that suits your shot 100 percent. yeah i would definitely agree and you know everyone's time investment is different being able to understand the amount of time you're allotting yourself to try stuff out yeah is important and then you know you can't just try stuff out you also have to like put pressure on yourself and yep. see if hey the setup, it does work, you know? Yeah. 
And you yeah. know that very well. Oh, and that's like, you know, last year I did a post on social media about it. I said last year, uh, Lancaster was my first indoor tournament of the year. And I was like, I hadn't been practicing with the two minute clock. I had, I just stand out mm. there and aim, aim. And if it's not right, I let it down and I draw back and whatever, you know, well, we got up there and, poof, you know, oh gosh, I got to get on the line. I'm drawing back. I'm letting down. I look up. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was so uncomfortable, so out of sorts. Your practice set up, may be awesome at home but even when i went to the 690 last weekend i felt like i was a little bit long i felt like i was fighting gravity didn't have enough tension between my bow hand and my release hand i thought yeah i'll just my stops just a touch when i get home shot the 360 round saturday came home saturday night made a few adjustments went back sunday shot the vegas round i was like okay i see some improvements came home sunday night right back out in the rain shooting some tweaks I shot some of my best practice rounds this week I've shot in years. So I'm on awesome. the right track, just trial and error, you know, and getting a right, getting a correct tournament set up is huge. Everything works in practice. Everything works for me in the comfort of my own home. But when they blow the whistle, this is your first in for score, all that stuff that goes through your head, your body feels it. And your practice setup may not be the best tournament setup. For sure. I would definitely agree with that. So uh, when you first got into archery or throughout your archery career, have you had a coach or like a mentor that's like really helped you when you're first getting started? I, I never had like a consistent coach. I read everything you could read. There was Terry Wonderly, Larry Wise, um, Al Henderson wrote a book, Understanding Winning Archery. It's not a very long book. You could really sit there and read it. Lancaster carries it. You probably get it on Amazon. Al was a 1976 Olympic coach, I think it was. But I read that book and I'm like, he wrote this book about me. I mean, this is me in black and white. This is what I do. This is what I think about. These are the these are the challenges that I have. So I never really had that one-on-one -on -one coaching time consistently. I did see Dan Hart. I fought Target Panic in 2010, 11, 12, a uh, stint in there from shooting the, the World Cup on the World Cup team and the FETA stuff. I just was plagued with it. Went and saw George Riles for a couple of days just to get a mixture of opinions. I wanted to have an open mind. I want to absorb all the information that's there and then weed out the things that really don't apply to me. So I utilize books, videos, I, I want to hear, you know, I watch your stuff on, on social media. Uh, I love the way George w Riles breaks stuff down. I love the mentality of Terry Wanderley, Lanny Basham, obviously with winning in mind. I, I've seen it. I've read it. I've tried it. And it's all helpful. But I think for me personally, you have to apply all of that knowledge, all of that information. You have to experience it on the line to really find out what works for you. I mean, I can read every book. I can pay millions of dollars for a coach. But until you go and experience it, apply it, and work through it to, to, to check off whatever boxes you're wanting to check off, I think that's when you, when you can measure your success rate. You know, I, I really feel like you have to experience. Target panic, they say stand there and blind bail. That's yeah. fine if you want to motions and learn some muscle memory, you know, and all that stuff, but you can't beat it until you're aiming at a target until they blow the whistle for score. I don't feel like you could beat that until you're in a situation. What caused the anxiety to begin with, you have to overcome that in that situation to say, okay, I've got control of my shot again. Yeah, I completely agree. You like, obviously the target, seeing your pin moving around the target is what causes those issues. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so just on that topic alone, what are 
What are you advising people that are having some sort of like target panic issues? What are you advising them to do instead of blind bell? I think target panic is such a multi-level, you know, there's little bitty signs of it and there's full on, I can't even get my pin close to the target for, I want to jump on that trigger. So there's a lot of different levels, but it's 100% mental. It truly is. And I've, I've had it bad. I mean, I, I, I shot some horrible tournaments, horrible tournaments and it's embarrassing. It really is. And I thought, you know what? It's just a mental, it's like, Repro, if you get a virus on your computer, it obviously doesn't work right. You have no control over what's happening with your computer. You completely wipe it down. You upload a new software, new process, a new operating system, and you try to maneuver through that. And I think that's, you have to commit. It's a commitment of, I'm not going to be sucked into this, oh crap, abort. Let's get out of this shop. Whatever happened, okay, I shot a zero. Let, now I'm comfortable again. You know, it's... It's so many different levels, so many things that can affect your mind. It's a commitment mentally of I'm never going to abort a shot. I'm never going to not execute. I'm never going to not follow my process. I would, I'll take a zero right now at Vegas if I can't get through the time clock versus drawing back and punching off an arrow. I'm never going to go down that path again. And I swore to myself if I ever had a new lease on life with archery. If I ever had a chance to come back and be competitive, I would never fall in that rut again. And I'll stand by that. I won't, but it's mental, you know, see some coaches absorb as much information as you can find, find a process that works for you and focus on the process. The outcome you can't determine, you can't control where that arrow lands, but you can control everything about how that arrow gets out of your bow. And that's where you have to put your focus. And that's how I had to reprogram my mind. I was so worried about my results. You know, indoor archery has become a game of you can't miss. And I think a lot of people practice like that. Oh, gosh, I can't miss. They get to Vegas. I can't miss. And that added pressure, that that anxiety, it doesn't help with anything. I think you have to focus solely on the process reboot, reprogram, and never deviate from what you do in practice. You know, if it's blowing the whistle or it's, you know, it could be tournament pressure, it could be tournament target panic. You may never fire a bad shot in practice, but when they blow the whistle and, hey, you have to write this score down on a scorecard, mm. it can affect you. Uh, and I think it's just 100%. Don't worry about where the arrow lands. Focus on your process. Execute to the best of your ability, regardless of what happens, but commit to never making a poor shot. I would a hundred percent agree with my personal stint of target panic. Like I, I did what most people would do. You know, you'd get a wrist release, shoot the mm -hmm. wrist release, just, you know, instinctively like a gun. A lot of people were just punching the trigger. Like, you know how, like a lot of guys, if you have a shotgun with the safety on and you pull the trigger, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was doing that and I got a thumb button because I was like stuck at a one, like I was shooting S30A as a kid, shooting like a 140 out of 150 on a five spot round. It's like half of an NFAA five spot round. And I was like, how do I get better? Um, so I got a thumb release. So with the thumb release, I learned how to actually shoot it. You're supposed to like dump the pressure in your thumb. Well, eventually I figured out, hey, I can just like, you know, you're supposed to relax your index finger, right? So I just dumped my index finger and let it, I punched it basically using my index finger and didn't yep. move my thumb. So yep. I had that problem. And I didn't realize I was doing that until I got like 
really close to the target once. And then I was like practicing like I had a coach, George Whiteman, if he's listening to this, he's a great guy. He's he's helped me uh, get started in archery. And uh, I went to five yards and I was shooting like inside out five spot X's. And I noticed, hey, I'm punching this thing. And then I swapped to a hinge. I tried a hinge for the first time at 20 yards. As soon as it hit the click, I yanked it left miss i did like twice i'm like i know i'm not shooting this correctly so learned that at five yards adjusted it sped up the timing sped up the timing you know then yeah i was able like the same season well i was able to shoot you know all the x's on a five spot target and then just go from there so but Yeah. yeah it's it's a decision you have to you have to own it and realize hey i am doing this let's figure out how to solve it so yeah, you just it, have to be reflective of that. Yeah, and it's so crazy to I say crazy. It's 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 interesting to me. This game is supposed to be so much fun and it truly is. I mean, people I mean they they go to work, they come home, they shoot their bow, they spend their money on travel, they go to archery tournaments because they love archery. It's supposed to be fun. If you don't want to shoot a command shot and you want to shoot a relaxed tension shot and you have target panic and you're not in control of your shot, it's miserable. It's not fun, you know, Mm. and it's like reprogram, commit to what it's going to take to get you to the shot style you want to shoot, regardless of what scores you're shooting, commit to your shot style. And I can't say tension shooting, back tension, you know, unconscious shots. I can't say that's right because of what's happening right before our eyes. I mean, look at the success that Kyle Douglas, that Jimmy Lutz, I mean, just to name a couple, they're command shooters i mean you can watch the videos they're command shooters and holy smokes they kill it so when that style of shot is on it's hard to beat but Mm -hmm. i worry about that for me that doesn't suit me when it comes down to hey this is your last arrow for a 900 at vegas my mind is not prepared to get the pin close and snap it it's like you fight the best you can to keep it and you execute you continue your smooth motion that's just the shot style that I want. And I think just keeping it fun. If you're miserable with target panic, do something about it. Commit to your execution, commit to your process, and quit worrying about what your stupid scorecard says. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You know, the, the process is most important. For sure. I would also like to add, um, when I first started shooting a hinge, I had that indoor season and I had the problem with the shot clock. And yeah. I, I would let down a lot. And I actually hit all of the X's and shot a zero because I didn't get the arrow off in time at this tournament. And I, I just committed. Like I was That's, like, I I will never punch a hinge. I'm going yeah. to I'm going to I'm not going to speed through it either. I'm going to slowly do my shot. And yeah. I think that's that's so much more important. And it is. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. There is a little misconception out there. You know, people that shoot an index finger or really have never dabbled in target archery, they hear about back tensions or, you know, what hybrid releases, you know, wrist strap mm. tension, whatever it might be. They hear about it like, oh, I'm going to get one of those so I don't punch anymore. <laughs> that That's not an instant solution because you spent $200. You're punching. You can punch every release. You can finish exactly release you have to commit to the process and utilize the design of the release for the way it's meant to be designed or meant meant to be used uh, to get the benefits from it so just because you're shooting attention you know this and you know some most of your listeners probably do too but there's not a punch proof release out there that i know of so 100 percent. yeah it's it's completely user controlled yeah 
Yeah. And I like, I like the stuff that, uh, Joel Turner does, you know, I've never sat through a, a personal session of what Joel does, you know, shot IQ. I see tidbits on social media. I've had some face-to-face conversations with Joel, but we've never had a conversation about me, you know, Hey Joel, what, what would you, I, I've never asked any questions, but I watch his, you know, shot IQ and the shot control. And I'm very intrigued by it. And of course, whatever Bodie's doing, oh my gosh, it works. You know, if it's proof in the pudding right there. So there's a lot of information. There's a lot of techniques. There's a lot of coaches, I guess, to wrap up everything we've discussed right there. Keep an open mind, be like a sponge, absorb all the information you can and just filter out what you don't want to use. And there's a lot, I mean, we've got the internet now. We've got computers in our hand all day long. Information's very accessible. When I started, that information wasn't there. You had to learn by taking your lumps. And now the learning curve is very short from a beginner to a very seasoned competitive archer. The learning curve and the time frame is much shorter than it used to be. So uh, utilize the information at your fingertips. Yeah, I think uh, to add to that, I believe that since this information is so much more accessible, there's going to be a lot more good archers. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just going to keep pressing the bar higher. That might take longer, but I think it's things are going to get bigger. Things are going to get more competitive as the years go on. So, yeah, I think Chris White, I saw a comment that Chris White put on social media about Mikey's 120 X's in a row. You know, when, when Mike set the bar and shot a 600 for the first time at Nimes, I mean, he did something that nobody had done. Well, then, you know, Stefan Hansen did it not much later, you know, and it's been done several times. And, you know, as the world caught up to Mike, Mike, he's he's went and raised the bar again. I mean, shooting 60 supers in a row in a tournament's no easy task. So, but like you said, now that somebody's done it, it's probably going to happen again. That's the way it always no one ever shot 120 X's in indoor nationals. Then once it happened, now there's 25 guys that do it every year. You know, wow. nine or were two or three every year. Now there's 16, 17, 24. It's crazy. So the world will catch up and uh, but some want some somehow some way people still seem to find a way to raise the bar. For sure. So what is a significant challenge that you faced throughout your career? In the beginning, it was time to do everything that I wanted to do. I, I, I wanted to shoot pro probably sooner than I went pro because I didn't have enough time. I didn't have enough paid off paid days at work accumulated. I wanted to shoot for rookie of the year in the ASA. Hey, <clears throat> excuse me. And I didn't have enough days off to hit the whole circuit to be eligible for rookie of the year. So I prolonged turning pro until I accumulated enough days uh, to do that because, you know, there's, again, there's boxes I wanted to check along the way. Finances never really was like, never kept me from shooting much, but I guess it was time. Uh, you know, families, these the folks with young kids, you know, that are in sports, archery sometimes doesn't mix well with families. So I think it was you know, the biggest struggle at the beginning was having enough time to do it. Now I have all the time in the world. My son's grown and gone. My wife and I both work. I work in the industry. It's just part of my life to go to archery events. But I think the time commitment was the biggest thing. I, I wanted to shoot constantly. I wanted to invest every ounce of energy and effort I had into archery. And life sometimes doesn't allow for that. So I think people have big visions and big dreams, but life gets in the way sometimes and archery has to take a back seat. For sure. Yeah. So um, for someone 
let's let's just say there is someone who um, would like to shoot pro. Let's say they have a family and uh, they have all these priorities. What advice would you give them to um, possibly shoot in the pro class? I, I would I would probably first say you know choose your lane. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you have access to an indoor range or if you have an indoor range at home or if you can shoot 20 yards at home and that's where you get your practice. Maybe if the kids go to sleep, wife's in bed and you can go outside and shoot in your barn, maybe the indoor game is where you should start, you know, shoot Vegas, shoot indoor nationals, you know, try not to do everything all at once. I don't it's hard to be great at 50 meters and great at 20 yards and great at 3d it's hard to be great at all of them so i would say probably in the beginning choose your lane if you're a good yardage judger shoot the asas if you're uh, if you live in ibo country and you're a good yardage judger maybe just shoot the ibos to start and then as time and money allows or life allows you know then shoot indoors and 3d or one of the other but i guess you know my first thought would be pick your lane pick where you're most apt to see some success and don't let what's happening in the indoor world scare you off. If you think, Oh my gosh, I got to shoot 60 super X's to go win Vegas. You don't, you know, uh, if I have to shoot 330 X's every time to be competitive, you don't. So don't let what's happening steer you wrong. But I think choose your lane and probably put the odds in your favor to where you could get a sniff of success. Because if you do have some success, you can get manufacturer support. Every manufacturer out there has a staff. They have different levels. I'm obviously pro staff coordinator for elite. So I deal with that every day, but there's opportunities there. If you stay in your lane, have a little success, who knows what doors can open for you. Sure. I like that. Personally, I started an indoor and I did indoor probably, probably for like a year or two. And uh, then I went to my first ASA tournament in 2017 (laughs) and uh, yeah, I went to Foley it was 2018. And uh, yeah, I remember I met Stefan Hansen. And yeah. uh, dude, he was so young. He was just walking around shooting ASAs. And I was like, yeah, cool. And, and now <laughs> I compete with them. It's insane. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I, I would definitely attest to that. Just get started somewhere. Um, I would say your, your network of like your pro shops in your area and other people that kind of shoot bows, especially tournament archery, like having someone that you can go to and like work with that's going to be huge your personal network at at home is going to be everything so yeah i started locally and regionally i shot you know local clubs and then i was shooting state tournaments and then next thing you know i was shooting the nfa sectionals i i didn't just jump right in and go okay i'm going to vegas i didn't i okay i'm gonna go shoot the asa tour i couldn't afford that i didn't have the time off to do it and i wasn't committed enough yet but as i started seeing some success locally state statewide regionally i thought okay Maybe I can compete. And then I started dabbling with the IBO stuff. And then when I had some success in the IBO, I went to the ASA. Then when I had some success in ASA, I was like, okay, let's do it all. Uh, And it's just kind of been like my goal is to try to be, like I said, it's hard to be good at everything. You can be competitive at everything, but I kind of found my lane is judging distance uh, and going all in for one arrow. It's really easy for me to focus on one shot at a time on 3D versus stand there indoors and just pound 30 X's in a row in a tournament. I mentally don't have that. I don't have that gear. Uh, I can get close, but I've never had that gear. But I just found like, okay, my resume is basically all 
3D related. I shot a 900 at Vegas. I've shot the 120 at indoor nationals. I've had some competitive years indoors, but if some people think of Darren Christenberry, they probably don't think, oh, Darren Christenberry, the indoor archer. That's not what they think of. Darren Christenberry, the 3D guy. That's probably, that's where I saw my success. That's where I felt most comfortable. And that's probably where my resume shines the most. Sure. Awesome. So uh, what, we already talked about this, but uh, what, uh, what advice would you give to, let's just say someone who might not have a family, but someone who is like, you know, like a young teenager that's, that's figuring out what archery is on YouTube. You know, they, they, you know, they do archery in the backyard, you know, they hunt and then they're like, who is this Levi Morgan guy? These ASA shootoffs, you know, what advice would you give to that person that's like, I want to start shooting these big ASA shoots? Uh, probably, uh, I would say maybe follow kind of the path that I did, you know, find some success locally. It's it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to go to Vegas and shoot uh, a 300, or I'm going to go to an ASA and I'm going to shoot 20 up. If you can't do yeah. that in your back, you're probably not going to do it at the tournament. So even back to target panic, you have to put yourself on the line aiming at the target. You have to realize what your capabilities are. If you can shoot 300s consistently on the blue face, the Vegas face in practice, you can very well compete in a class on a national level. You have to have realistic expectations. You have to set realistic goals and just chase it. I mean, I'm, I'm, who knows where the next Levi Morgan comes from? You know, these mm. guys that have families, there may be another Jesse Broadwater out there that has five kids that can't afford to you know, pay his monthly bills, let alone go to a national tournament. There may be more chance Bo Beffs out there. Who knows? Uh, everybody's situation's different, but I guess, you know, practice proof to yourself that you're capable and then man, dive right in. Don't, don't deter, don't let anything stand in your way. If you have a vision or you have a dream or you have a goal that you want to try to achieve, why not? You know, exactly. don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you you can't because you can. Love it. So thinking of what to ask Darren Christianberry. So what, um, as far as like getting like your bow set up, what, uh, what's your steps and process with that? Like a quick rundown. Yeah, no, I typically when I get something, you know, right out of the box, I I, I don't tear them apart. I don't change. I, I trust the people that build our bows and I trust our engineers can build a way better bow than I can, you know. Sure. So I have certain measurements like on my D loop, I, I measure dead center of the burger buttonhole. I go back 90 degrees to the string or right through dead center and then i go up an eighth of an inch that's the top of my knocking point i do that on every single bow that i have you know i have i've experimented in the past year and years past with knock ties in between my d loop and running no knock ties i didn't run a single knock tie in my asa setup this year and had pretty good success out there now the bows that i've set up strings and cables that i've changed for the 2024 season i've gone back to the knock tie i don't know why dave cousins taught me or suggested to me a long time ago that when you hook your release onto the d loop and you're pulling tension on it with that knock tie below your release actually ends up directly behind your knock so everything's perfectly in line if you don't have the knock tie your release is actually above the knock of your arrow mm -hmm. and it creates a bit of a misalignment so i thought that's got to make sense. It works for Dave. I'm going to try it. So that's why I started doing one tie on the bottom was to get my release more in line with the knock of my arrow. But I typically, you know, will go out, I'll set the bow up, 
I'll put a peep side in. I don't tie anything in. I don't cinch my D loop down. I go out and I test. I'll, I'll tune. Uh, I like to paper tune to get stuck. Started. If I need to shim cams, I'll shim cams. If I'm way off to get my tune, I'll shim my cams. But on the elites, obviously, we have set technology. It's a very simple system and it's very effective. So I will shoot, I'll side in, I'll tune. I, then I go to a bear shaft. I, the bear shaft is really like my, that's my tell all. You know, if paper tunes are deceiving, they work. It's a really good starting point. At 20 yards, does it matter if your bear shaft hits? Eh. You know, I, I like to think that I take every step I can to have the most accurate, most forgiving setup. Is it, is it life? Is it, is it life or death? Probably not because I'd probably crap if I saw some of the old setups that Darren Christenberry had when I shot some of my best indoor rounds. I didn't know about bear shaft tuning. I didn't know about all these little tips and tricks of shimming and yoke tuning. And I didn't know that stuff. I kept it so simple. I put all of the success or failure on my shoulders. How, how consistent can you be? And that's all I relied on. Now, as I get older, I don't probably hold as steady as I did when I was in my twenties, I've changed hands. So things are totally different. Uh, but now I'm like, okay, take every step you can take, eliminate every possibility for any inconsistency and make sure you check all the boxes along the way. So when I get a bear shaft and a flat shaft hitting the same, then I'll try to side in. Then I might tie peeps in. I may cinch D loops down. I'll check timing again. And then it's just roll. I try to really be simple with my stuff. In my arrow builds, I'm real tedious about that. I love fletching arrows. I love trying different things to see what kind of tunes I get and how it affects it with arrow length, point weight vein size, knock fit, just, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I guess I'm a student of the game and I, I don't leave any stone unturned, but I also don't have like a dead set. This is what I have to do. I keep an open mind. I know what works well for me. My setups are pretty simple. Like I said, I tie my D lip where I want it. I, I paper tune, I bear shaft tune. I side it in. I play with point weights and fletching sizes to see what's the most forgiving for me. And that's basically once I make a decision, tournament test it like I did last weekend, make a few adjustments and try to make it better for the next one. Perfect. I, I like that. I, I've never heard someone say that, that whole like release behind the knock thing. So that's, yep. that's different. So does it kind of like make your, like, like it feels like you have a higher knock height in a way doing, no, doing I, it that way? I, it doesn't really make my, it doesn't really make the feel any different to me, but it like made sense to me because, you know, if you just put the knock on the string and your D loop, when you hook your release up and then you put tension on it, your release actually ends up above your knock at full draw. But when you lower that knot, put that tie in at the bottom and now hook your release up, when you get to full draw, your, your hook is directly behind your arrow. And again, does it work? I don't know. I shot without a tie all ASA season, uh, but I'm shooting at a 10 ring this big. I'm not shooting at X's every single time. Uh, well, 12 rings, I guess I am. But anyway, it just made sense to me. And of course, you know, when a guy with a, a resume like Dave Cousins has say, hey, try this, you got to try it. He's doing it for a reason. I don't think he's just doing it to keep me busy, but uh, I, I, I tried it. I've used it and I'm back to it. So it's worked for me over the years and it's something that makes sense. So run with it. Yeah. So from a tuning standpoint or from a shooting standpoint, what, what have you seen the difference in? Really no difference. Um, the, the, the knock fit is huge for me. I, I've had a couple of bows 
where, and I don't know if it's timing or just something I missed in my setup. I had a couple of bows recently where I was favoring a knock low through paper and I was getting a high impact with a bear shaft, which is knock low bear shaft impact and high. And typically an asymmetrical biter knock will solve that. The asymmetrical, you know, longer on one end, shorter on the other. And if you knock one of those upside down, it's a four or five inch miss at 20 yards. So anytime, if I took a perfectly tuned bow and shot an asymmetrical biter, it would throw a knock high tear. So anytime I would get something that was favoring knock low, I'd be like, I'll just put an asymmetrical biter here. Boom, problem solved. I still was getting, even with the knock tie, without the knock tie, I get so much knock pinch on an asymmetrical that my arrow would stand up off the rest and it was a no-go. So exactly. limitations with certain equipment where the knock tie made total sense. And I see people tie above and below centered. I, I, I don't know. I, I've never experiment, experimented with that. I've never understood that. So I don't go down that path. And I can't say it's bad because I've never done it. So I have no proof to say, oh, that's wrong. It's not wrong. It's just not my style. So I go back to what works and what I've seen work and I know gives me good results. And I don't think as far as tuning or accuracy down range, I see a a true asset or any detriment to either one. It's just a matter of what makes me feel warm and fuzzy at the time, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. Like it kind of boils down to that a lot of times. You know, yeah. a lot a lot of guys it's just like, does it make you feel good about your setup? Yeah. I mean, with. confidence is half the battle. I mean, if you go to it a is. tournament death if you if you tow the line in a shoot off and you're like oh my gosh i don't want to be here i don't want to embarrass myself or you're not going to win that you know after yeah. it's that's i don't like arrogance i guess you would say i don't want someone being cocky to me or looking down their nose at me but i truly respect the guy that steps up to the line and twirls his arrows and says let's get this on you know he's confident <laughs> And you have to have that. You need a little bit of that to be successful in this game. You have to take no prisoners. And, you know, when they're down, step on their throat. You know, that's just what you have to do. And and I like a little bit of that. Confidence is key. And a lot of times it's uh, it's crucial. You have to be confident in what you're doing at the, in the heat of the moment. For sure. So with your transition from shooting right-handed to left-handed, how is that going? Man, I tell you, I would have... Uh, if you'd have asked me that question two years ago, I'd be like, what in the world am I doing? But now it's like, I don't know. I see, I smile when I talk about it because I shot around the other night where I'm doing a, a Facebook league with a bunch of people. You get a shoot, a, uh, you have from Monday to Sunday to shoot a, a 3.30 Vegas round. And you you send your score in on a Facebook messenger. And we got a guy tallying the handicaps. And Anyway, it's a six-week league. And hmm. Feel it, you know. I went out and I shot two practice ends on a dirty face. I hung a clean face, and I'm like, okay, let's shoot a score. And I was like, don't, don't screw this up. Don't shoot a bunch of nines. All stuff you're not supposed to think about, you know. And my number two target, I was like shooting them in the exact same hole. And I mean, I just stand there on the line and I smile because I'm like, you're doing this left-handed, you know. Yeah. I, I, I shoot like that back in the day, right-handed, and I've watched it just slowly come together for the past several months where I used to be able to stop the pin. I could like almost stop it and it would just barely float and boom, when the release would fire, there's no doubt where the arrow was going to go. And I'm getting to that point again. Now it's not 30 arrows in a row and it's not 60 arrows in a row, but a very high percentage of my 
arrows, I'm getting that real slow float. And when the shot breaks, my mind takes this mental picture of boom, that's exactly where your pin was when it, when it broke. And I'm in tune with my equipment. There's no surprises, just a little low left. That's where it's at a little low left dead center. Mm -hmm. That's where that dead center. And I really feel that energy and that confidence. I'm getting confident in what I'm doing and it's showing up in my practice. And I feel like I can take that to the tournament trail as well. Perfect. That's crazy. So is your draw length any different? Yes, longer. Weird. I took all my notes. I mean, I've got notes written down on pads for orange verdict, you know, purple verdict, blue IBO bow, all these notes and spacing and poundage and what limb went where. And I took all that stuff and it didn't matter. Left-handed is different. My peep height's higher. My draw length's longer. I had to start with with more let off and lower holding weight because I, I said earlier in the in the podcast I about shot my neighbor's house not long after I had switched. I was trying to emulate Darren right-handed. Same draw length, same holding weight, same all this. I couldn't do it. I got to full draw and came off the wall, boom, caught it again, and I tripped the trigger. And I launched an arrow out through my neighborhood. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've just shot my neighbor's house, you know? So <laughs> I really had to take my right-handed notes and get a, a, a fresh sheet of paper and start all over. Yeah, I'm I'm shooting. I shot 29 and 7 eighths for years. That's just where I couldn't be over 30 inches. I'm actually shooting my bows right now. My indoor bow is on the 30 and a half spot on the mod. And then I've got my stop moved in five marks. So it's probably about 30 and a quarter, I'd say, sure. is what it would measure on a drawboard. But I'm about 15 pounds of holding weight. I used to shoot 19 back in the day as a righty. So I've increased my holding weight and it's helped with all the steadiness and the results downrange, but my peep height's higher. I look at pictures of myself. I video myself to see how my alignment is. I look at my head position. I, I, I feel like this is a new and improved Darren. This is Darren 2.0, and all the things that I, all the bad habits that I had before or everything that I wanted to fix as a right-handed archer that I couldn't because it was just like I had done it so long I couldn't change. I've made those adjustments now, and I feel like it's an improved Aaron now. So, sorry if you wow. my little a little pug back here snoring. If you can I'm snoring, I'm I sorry. Can't. That's <laughs> fine. But but yeah, man. I feel like I've made the adjustments that that I always wanted to make that I couldn't, and now that I've got a blank canvas and a and a clean slate, I've been able to find out what left hand is like and it's longer it's more upright my alignment's better and i'm getting the confidence that i need to put all this in play perfect so darren where can people find you on social media i'm darren christenberry on facebook darren christenberry on instagram i try to keep up with all that stuff i'm not real savvy i'm a little technologically challenged is probably the best description I have, but I am available. I do. I, sometimes it takes me two or three days to see an Instagram message. Cause I don't, it'll say requests. If I don't follow somebody, I'm bad about missing that, but I do try to keep up with questions and Darren Christenberry on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome, Darren. Hey, it was a pleasure to have you on today and I'm sure the viewers are going to love what we talked about. So yeah, just going over, you know, the ultra arrows, how you set up a bow, dealing with target panic, you know, yeah. you have to commit. And then like if you're wanting to shoot in the pro class, your options. So, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. I appreciate having me. Thanks for letting me. I, I'm comfortable talking about archery. I enjoy it. And it was good talking to you. And uh, I hope I hope people get something out of this. For sure. All right, Darren. Thank you so much, Ace.